is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I know better than anybody how important it is for us to win this election because I see up close and personal what the Republicans and this president are doing. Under the Trump presidency, I think we're seeing that across America as the middle class is understanding that their values do go along with the Republican Party. Firefighters and public safety unions are the forgotten constituency of the Republican Party. Omarosa says that she has taped in the Oval Office and in the Situation Room. We've heard the tapes. And this is a national security issue. This is not just about a book anymore. She's giving receipts and she's now in trouble. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome. Welcome into the program. Uh, I want to go first to a caller who held over from last hour. Thank you so much for holding uh, Jonathan from North Carolina. Great to speak with you. Well, hi, Stacy. Thanks for taking my call. Sure thing. Hey, I'm a, I have, I believe that what Omarosa has done this time has set uh, black-white relations back, I'm not kidding, 30 years. And here's what I mean. Um, I'm, I own a small cleaning business, and I go about from business to business trying to, you know, make accounts. And I'll talk to the business owners, and I'll, I'll be sweeping their floors, cleaning their trash, wiping their, their top countertops, and I'll see these people and how they express themselves and their opinions and, uh, and, and what they put on their uh, desks. And just when I saw... That Kwame Jackson fellow and uh, Tara Dowdell and this Randall Pickett, I think this happened back when Trump was running for office. They held a conference where they came in front of the TV, in front of the, the cameras. These are black folks that Trump had brought into his organization. And they all said that their boss was a racist. Now, Randall Pickett, he... Later on, I went on to say, you know why I think he was a racist? Because when I was brought into the executive level of his organization and I went to my first executive meeting, I was the only one that looked like me in the organization. And to him, that was proof that Trump was a racist. But, but, but Trump himself had selected this man for the organization. Now, all to, up to that point, that's what those folks were saying. But Omarosa had a different opinion. But now we see Omarosa has stabbed Trump in the back, just like those folks did. And I'm telling you, I'm not asking. I'm telling you, there were black, uh, sorry, there were white business owners all over this country who saw that and said, you know what? Blacks make great janitors. Blacks make, black make great landscapers. It'll be a cold day. You know where before he ever enters into the executive boardroom, and I trust him with the company's numbers, facts, and figures. And I, I just am sickened. I'm sickened at what has happened in the name of entertainment to see this woman destroy the, the chances of so many wonderful black folks moving up in corporate America. For my your time. Thank you for calling in and, and expressing that. And I have to say, um, so my my initial thought would be, yeah, you know, a lot of people 
who are looking for positions. Omarosa's damaging, you know, the reputations for women and et cetera. But I tend to look at it a little differently now. Like I, I would have totally agreed with you some years ago. And there may be some people who would think twice or three times about hiring someone based on what Omarosa has done. But I, I really think that people who are hiring and they're looking for a quality applicant are already going to have weeded out Omarosa types to begin with. And what I mean by that is Omarosa was a reality show star. And I'm like Ariel Davidson. My husband and I, we, our kids were of the age where they were going to bed between 7.30 and 8, <laughs> back when The Apprentice was on. And um, so our kids would go to bed and we would get our snacks and we'd watch The Apprentice. And I remember her being on then. And I remember a lot of people posting on Facebook, black women saying, this woman makes black women look bad. And I remember agreeing. I thought, you know, people will see her and think, Up, oh, I better not hire a black woman. But the fact is, you know, your demeanor when you show up, like you were talking about the work that you do in your cleaning company, people know you, they know your work, they know your reputation and the people that work for you are of the same caliber as yourself. And so they, they, they know that about the caller, Jonathan from North Carolina. It's the same thing when people, the stereotype is, you know, you see someone, you, you kind of stereotype them based on who you know or what you believe about people. But then when you talk to them, and you start to get that interaction, then you realize, oh, this person is, you know, you change your mind about what caliber of person they are based on their actions. It will have a negative impact, uh, you know, in, invariably, you know, it, it will have some, but I don't think it's going to be as far reaching. And I do think one of the reasons why Omarosa even had a place to go in is that there aren't a ton of black women on the right who were willing to move to D.C. and put themselves under that scrutiny to work in, you know, the Trump White House. And he had to keep people in there who he felt like he trusted and he had this long history with her. And so it was the loyalty that got her in. Turns out she didn't have any loyalty at all. She was only there for what she could get. I just don't think I, I think if you have a good education or, you know, in place of that traditional education, you have the experience and you present yourself well and you are on time, you do, you know, you, you do the job, you, you show up prepared to do the job and people can tell that you're, you're working in that way. And, you know, very few people come in at that boardroom level. Most people come in somewhere below that and work their way up. And so you have to prove yourself. It might make it a little harder for women in business right now, you know, while this is going on. I, but I would hope that people would take individuals that they're working with at their face value instead of saying, oh, you must be like Omarosa. I mean, we all have our bad moments, but I, I just watch any of the clips from that show. And that is a completely unique situation, that that whole Omarosa mentality in her, which is, again, Omarosa was found to be disloyal during the competitions. And that's why she got fired. At least two of the times that she was fired on The Apprentice, it was because she was disloyal. And Donald Trump said, I hate disloyalty. So it's interesting that she was brought into the White House. It just, it kind of baffles the mind how she made it in there. Um, so thank you so much for holding over and great call. So here's the thing. In all of this, like you got her, she's, she was fired from the White House. Turns out it wasn't true that she, you know, resigned after a year that she was scheduled to leave January 20th. It turns out she was let go. Which brings us to Peter Strzok being fired, which I mentioned uh, in hour one. Now, people have been asking this. I asked it. And, and, you know, other pundits bigger than me by far have asked, why has Peter Strzok still been paid by the FBI when 
you know, all of this wrongdoing went on. Well, it turns out he was finally let go, even though uh, OPM, Office of Professional Management, didn't recommend that he was fired. He was actually suspended for 60 days and they were, you know, going to basically you keep your nose clean. You get to stay on one more mistake from you and you're out of here. Well, it turns out, yeah, you know, he, he really damaged the reputation of the FBI. He, he besmirched the reputations of so many fantastic agents out there who do amazing work and bring horrible criminals to justice. And now office of professional responsibility has you know, decided that that last chance agreement would be good enough. But uh, Goldman and Bowditch, who are in the FBI in management, they basically said, you got to go. Now, I think some people will say, you know, that these two gentlemen are operating and, you know, doing something for President Trump. But this this is not an action that's being taken for President Trump to do anything for President Trump. This action is being taken to send a message to the remaining agents, 33,000, I think it is, who work for the FBI, that if you decide to use your work phone to text your girlfriend that you're having an affair with while you're married and she's married, and you will be found out and that it will cost you your job. This is not about, uh, you know, puritanism or, or, you know, per getting in people's personal business, they texted on their work phones and used encrypted messaging so that their spouses couldn't find out they were cheating. And then while they were cheating and having the affair on work hours using government resources paid for by the taxpayers of the United States, these individuals also engaged in what could only be termed as you know, plans to materially impact an, an American election. They say they only texted about it and they didn't do anything, but you can't really believe that. You can't read the text messages and really believe that that's, that's what happened. So I don't think it's a surprise that he was fired. I mean, I'm not even slightly shocked. The only thing that's surprising to me is that it took this long. And even knowing how slowly the government moves, it's surprising to me that it took this long. So speaking of interesting individuals, because we've been talking about Omarosa and now Peter Strzok, Alex Jones. So you might have heard that he was simultaneously booted off of all of the major social media networks. Not everything, but a lot of his sites were purged from the Google search engine, um, you know, uh, on Facebook, uh, five, four or five of the pages that he has were taken down. His YouTube was eliminated. And he was making a significant amount of money from that. Well, it turns out that since Silicon Valley decided to restrict his free speech, and, you know, this is not a statement about the Sandy Hook birth truthism that he does or the 9-11 truthism. You guys know I'm not into that. I think that is absolute bunk, and he should really stop and, t you know, take a couple weeks off from working and just think about what, like, do you really believe that? Or are you just doing that because it gets you clicks? Anyway, it turns out that even though these actions were taken against him to limit his reach. According to website ranking service Alexa, his traffic has exploded because 90% of the people who visit his website actually get there by typing the website into the search engine. They just type it in and go straight to his site. So he gets 10% of his traffic from, uh, you know, all of the different social media websites referring traffic to him. 
and he but he hosts his own videos on his website. So the self-hosting means while he has stuff on YouTube and he streams to YouTube, he's not in danger of having um, his traffic sources cut off because if you can't find him on YouTube, but you want to watch him, you can just go to his website and watch him there. It's kind of fantastic. You got Facebook, Apple, YouTube slash Google and Spotify acting together to shut him down. He was banned by iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, MailChimp, Discus, LinkedIn, Flickr, Pinterest, YouTube, and Facebook. I mean, isn't that amazing? They all acted together to get rid of him. You don't have to like what he's putting out there. You can even find it repugnant. These same sites have pornography on there. Isn't that something? They're making judgments about what Alex Jones says, which I, I come on, but they got they got the pornography on their sites. I mean, go to YouTube. It's just crazy. The stuff that's up there, the uh, jihadi training videos. I mean, you just go check out what's on there. Uh, or in fact, don't just take my word for it. You don't want your brain stained. But they have all that stuff up there, but they're censoring Alex Jones. So he was also he sells these supplements that are supposed to do all this stuff like, you know, health health supplements, drops and pills and stuff like that. They're supposed to make you healthier, help you with your workouts and whatnot. They were stripped of their Amazon choice tags. So on Amazon.com, when you are looking at a product, it'll say Prime or it'll have a little label on it that says Amazon Choice, which is basically a recommendation for you to buy it. And they have the screen grab showing that it said Amazon's Choice. And now after that little label is gone. Well... You can still get to the content via apps on Google and Apple. You can still download the apps from the App Store uh, for Apple and through the uh, Android users store. You can still get it there. And as of Friday, close of business, the show's phone app remained near the top of the charts in both the Apple app and Google Play stores. InfoWars Official, an app that lets viewers stream Jones's show and read news of the day, was ranked fourth among trending apps on the Google Play Store on Friday. But here's the cake taker. 5.6 million people, according to Jones, subscribed to the InfoWars newsletter within 48 hours of learning that he was banned from YouTube. They tried to knock him down, and he just got right back up. We'll be back with more right after this. Stay there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki. From airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference coming up August 17th and 18th. The list of speakers is amazing. We have Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, Stacy Washington, Lonnie Poindexter, Pastor Dexter Sanders, and we'll be there too. There's a direct attack by the enemy on marriage and family, and babies in the womb are treated like political footballs instead of life. We want to encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. If we can get our families on track, a lot of society's problems could be solved. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is from Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at Talk. 
Hello, I'm Pastor Joseph Parker, and this is Daily Time in the Word. It's our goal to help you better understand the great blessing of spending time in God's Word every single day. Today, I want to remind you about an important prayer tool that we've made available to our listeners. It's something we simply call Kingdom Prayers, and it has about nine different prayers that are based on the Word of God or that come straight from the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to make it your goal to use them on a daily basis for you and your family. But also we want to encourage you to take time to teach and train them to pray every single day as well, and specifically praying the Word of God. One of the prayers listed is, of course, the Lord's Prayer. And, of course, that's a great prayer the Lord Jesus taught us as disciples to pray on a daily basis. I want to take time to pray it through now. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Again, the Lord's Prayer is a great prayer to help and encourage you to pray each day. And we want to encourage every parent listening to pray it with your children every single day as well. It's a great kingdom prayer, and it's also a prayer that accomplishes great things in the spirit realm every day that we pray it together as a family. The email to get the prayer tool called Kingdom Prayers is jparker at afa.net. Again, that's jparker at afa.net. Please email us, and we'd be glad to send it to you, and I hope you'll put it to great use. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, welcome back to the show. We will have our guest up next in just a couple minutes, working on getting that together for you. Uh, head over to AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Check out the content that we're putting up for you. And uh, definitely keep in mind that Alex Jones is defying what has turned out to be a, a really huge censorship push. And I'm not using him as an example because I love him pushing these conspiracy theories, but I'm showing you by sharing this that the power is really, it lies with, yeah, Facebook's powerful, sure. But Facebook can't stop you from typing your favorite website into the engine, into the search engine and going there. And sometimes if I find a new website that I like, um, I'll leave the window open on my laptop, but other times, most of the time, I actually just type it out and print that piece of paper up and put it on my bulletin board so that when I'm in my office working and I'm going to the websites that I'm used to going to, I'll see it and I'll say, oh yeah, I wanted to check that one out and I'll keep checking it out. And if it's, you know, if it's something that I'm continuing to like, I'll keep going there because relying on Facebook means they curate the news for you. They have actually decreased the, the number of people that like my my radio show page, how many of them get to see my content? Every month, I get at least 10 messages from people who say, I thought you'd stop doing a show. I, I haven't seen you in a month. One lady said she hadn't seen me in two years. She was surprised to see that the page had grown and that my show had gone from the weekend to during the day. And now out of sight, out of mind, obviously, I was kind of surprised that she didn't miss it after two years. And then it just showed up in her feed again. And she was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I did used to like listening to that. But that's the point. 
if you rely on Facebook and YouTube, et cetera, to show you what your preferences are, then they'll show you what they want you to see. Decide what you like, type it in, visit it. You know, it's, it's basically you see, you like, you buy, but not, not letting uh, them decide what you're going to consume. So the quote from him, and I can't, some, there are some other quotes here, but he, he's into cursing, so we're not going to share those. Uh, when he was speaking to the Daily Mail, he just let fly. But he did say, um, the quote from him that he, that he provided here, because I play devil's advocate, because I play both sides, they've taken me out of context. They're using me as a test case to try to bring an EU style of web censorship. They've got mainline Democratic senators saying they ought to restrict Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Matt Drudge, the president himself. They are misrepresenting what I've said and done and are using that to set a precedent for Internet-wide deplatforming, censorship beyond what Russia does, what China does. Ahead of the midterm election, the whole thing is fake. Looking at InfoWars' stats, and that that was Alex Jones, uh, a little over 10% of their pre-ban traffic in July came from social media with about half of that. So about 5% coming from Facebook. So he's going to survive because most of his traffic is direct. People just type in InfoWars and they get there now or going to a bookmark. Now, in terms of dollars and cents, the website Social Blade estimates that over the last 30 days, InfoWars YouTube channel received a little over 17 million views and average YouTube ad revenue is around $2 per 1,000 clicks. InfoWars undoubtedly demonetized for much of that because YouTube just shut them down. That's probably costing him upwards of $400,000, that demonetization. And it's happened to others who are not conspiracy theorists, who do not post offensive content other than it's the truth, such as uh, Louder with Crowder. He was recently deplatformed. De- well, not deplatformed. He's still there, but he's demonetized with no warning, no explanation, just they just took his ability to put ads on. And when they took it from me, they said it was because I had too few hours viewed over the past 12 months. So I met the standard. But since that wasn't over the past 12 months, they took away my ability to use ads. Lucky for me, I never I monetized just a few of my videos. So I didn't care since I wasn't earning money from them. But Steven Crowder, with over a million YouTube subscribers, they just put a huge chunk into his into they took a huge chunk out of his income. So. The flow of new traffic that has been driven to Infowars.com is paying a much higher CPM because it comes directly to him as opposed to getting split with YouTube. And it's entirely possible that if newfound site visitors stick around after finding out that he's been deplatformed by all of these different things, he could end up making more money now than he did before they tried to censor him, which is part of the reason why censorship doesn't really work. All right, let's go to our guest. We have Reverend Robert Martin. He's the pastor of Hope Central Church in Central Los Angeles. Reverend Martin, thanks for joining the show today. Great to be here. Thank you, Stacey. It's good to talk to you. So um, you actually have some reflections on the one-year anniversary of Charlottesville and how the church can lead the fight against racism and hatred. Yes, uh, I was thinking about some particular things in relation to the church and how it should how it should react to these situations. Of course, sad to say that racism is something that's with us and it's ingrained in so many people, but the church has to be above that, and the church can be. As a matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, when the New Testament church began, 
It began as a multi-ethnic, multicultural institution that affected the world in profound ways. And the Church can do and must do the same. We must be the same as it was originally. And the only way we can do that is by is by being what the Church was in this very uh, genesis. Uh, to, to do that, of course, I think the Church has to be very intentional, has to be steadfast, has to be intentional in outreach and acceptance, treating everyone as the brothers and sisters that they are, regardless of color, creed, or any other thing. And I think the Church can do that. That's where it begins, because politics politics can change structure, but only God can change the hearts of men. And at the root of it, I think racism is ultimately a spiritual matter that only God can really transform, and man has very great difficulty in doing so. Sure. Um, I, I, I think that racism is a sin, and it has to be dealt with as all sin, you know, repent and turn away. Um, and, and that's done through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord helps us with when we're truly repentant. But do you feel like the conversation surrounding race and the constant focus on race that is kind of elevating these tiny groups to national stature, that that is what God would want us to do to constantly talk about race and to constantly uh, make it our chief problem in this country when there are so many other big things that are going on that we really could be making more headway on? Well, I think you're right. We, we, we made so much improvement. It's, it's, it's amazing the improvement that have been made in this area. But I do think there's a vocal minority that just doesn't want to accept that. And, and basically, I think they're just looking for platforms to, to speak their ill will. And this happens to be one area that they focus on. But there, there's been so much. I mean, I, I pastor a church. I'm blessed to pastor a church that has blacks, whites, Hispanics. And, um, and everybody gets along and treats everybody the same. And I, mm-hmm. that's, and, and I see that in a lot of places, in organizations and churches. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it should be, and that's the way it must be. But I do think that the, our culture is, is so, so much vitriol, so much hatred, and uh, all that's just filtering around through the airwaves and people with their social media platforms that they used to do that. And I, I do think it's out of hand. I think people are are majoring on something that's not quite as major as they think it is at this point in our history. So, Reverend Martin, I would, I would, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I wonder if there isn't a way for us. Um, so, you know, we have we have this history of slavery in our country, but we also have a number of different things in our country that are totally unique to America. That we fought a civil war over slavery, and we lost, you know, seven hundred plus thousand Americans died in that war, and we had you know, blacks fighting alongside whites in that war on both sides of the conflict. And afterwards, it was a, you know, it was a difficult time. There was healing that was needed. There was the Jim Crow South, et cetera, et cetera. All these things are a part of our history, but we can be very comforted in the fact that as a country where the majority of us are Christians, we have absolutely come back from that. Like you, you mentioned your church being, you know, just it, it looks like God's kingdom. There's some, some of everybody in there. I go to a church like that. Our family attends a church where there's just, you know, you look around and there's every, every possible type of person you can think of is sitting right there. We're all sitting there together, looking in the same direction, listening to the same pastor. Can we not find a way to 
um, kind of unify around that and make a concerted effort to refocus on another issue as Christians so that something, you know, something can be done to uh, on another issue on poverty or on, uh, we had a guest or we will be speaking with, um, shortly later this week to a pastor who is his primary thing is getting the recidivism, recidivism rates for, uh, people who've been incarcerated down so that they're, they're not, you know, ping ponging back into prison. And he believes the church is the place to do that. Do we not have something else we could be working on instead of constantly talking about racism? No doubt, no doubt about that. And, and the church has stepped up to the forefront some of the issues, like you said, even slavery. The abolition movement was birthed mm-hmm. from churches, even suffragettes, you know, all these suffrage movements and suffragettes, all these different things have happened, have had a, a church background. And the, and the church has done great in so many instances. And I, I just think what's, what's happened at this point is it's like someone has just opened the window um, in their, that, that everybody can see into their own hearts and their fury. And social media is just fanning the flames of that, I think. People are just getting out of control with it. These these different marches you have and people attacking and attacking cops, attacking one another. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just like it's a fury in the hearts of, of this group of people, but yet the media is just magnifying it to where it looks like that's the norm when it's not the norm. The norm is people... In, in churches of whatever color, you know, hand in hand, worshiping God together, praying for one another, and and that that's the truth, and that, and that's the majority. And it, it's it's sad that there's so much emphasis being placed on something that is is really, in the grand scheme of things, at this point, minor. The United States, I think, has done an excellent job coming through uh, you know, the, the stains and blemishes on its history to get to the point where it is now. And the progress that has been made should be able to continue. And, and the church has to focus on that, uh, focus on, like you said, other things. There are so many things that need to be done, and and we lose our vision when we get focused and bogged down in something that isn't as large as people tend to make it out to be. Yeah, and, and you mentioned social media, Pastor, and I want to I touch on that. Um what what is your thought on the proper role of social media in the life of a Christian? Because I'm I'm on social media. I used to do so much more with it than I do now, and I, I feel like that's because the Lord has kind of been pulling me back, saying, "Look, you know, you can be on there, but don't you think you need to be reasonable and efficient with it?" And also, I have to judge what it does to me. If I'm on social media and it's making me angry, then I should probably shut it down and go do something outside, you know, balance so that people are, I think people are really kind of running around angry from what they're reading on social media because there is so much bad news and you, it is so easy to get. What's the proper role for us as Christians? At, you know, you feel like what God would have us to do with our social media? Well, first of all, I think when people use the way they do it, it becomes a huge distraction to life itself. Uh, you, you can have a people sitting at a table and nobody's communicating. They're all on their phones playing games or texting someone in a different state or whatever. Mm. And, they're, and, and it just tends to disconnect people. And uh, as far as how to deal with it, people have to learn to limit it. I, I try to be as positive as possible, as possible. Some people tend to chase every rabbit, every you know, I've got to respond to this, I've got to respond to that, and get all worked up and angry about it. 
nobody's going to change anybody's mind on social media. These people that come on, they have their opinions, and that's just the way it's going to be. And there's no reason to fight. You know, you, 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 uh, you know, a dog might fight with a skunk and it can win, but it's not worth it. It's not worth the smell, the stench that comes through. <laughs> Well, that's a yeah. good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people lower themselves into that and just feel like, well, I, I, I have to. I have to defend this. It's not all about defending. It's not all about contending. It's about being. It's about being you know, a, a light, being a positive force. And I think there needs to be a lot more positive things on social media instead of, like I said, just jumping every little rabbit hole here and there chasing things and have to say this, have to say that. No, we don't have to say a lot of things. We just want to. It almost becomes a pride issue to us that we have to be heard. And yeah. I think if we spent more time praying and less time playing like that, we'd probably be a lot better off. Mm, and, and that's some fantastic advice for us to end this segment on. I, I agree with you as someone who I used to, you know, you get into the slap fights and you want to be, you want to make sure the person knows the true facts and you keep going at it until, you know, you're almost exhausted with beads of sweat on your forehead. And we're talking about just typing with your thumbs. It's ridiculous. And I've, we, we all get sucked into it. So there's no judgment or condemnation. It's just us kind of acknowledging that we probably aren't going to change people's minds on social media, but we can pray about the issues, be informed, pray, and then, go where God would lead us to really action items that we can work with, as you said, in our churches, getting, getting something going at church that can be a help um, instead of only because, because, you know, we think we're doing something on social media and some of it is impactful, but you now a lot of it isn't. So I, I think your advice is great for, for the listeners. And for me specifically, I never feel like I'm where I need to be with it. I'm, I'm a, it's a constant work in progress. Um, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you, Reverend Robert Martin, pastor of Hope Central Church in Central L.A. Um, thank you for joining yeah, actually, the program actually, today. Actually, it's Louisiana, by the way. Oh, Louisiana. I thought, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Louisiana. I'm in, I'm in the deep south, so I know some of the stuff I'm talking about. Well, there you but, go. But there's, yes. There's a, there's a profound change even in the south, though. It's, you know, for the most part, people get along if people just let them, I think. Amen. I, I agree with you. Thank you so much for that correction. It's Central Louisiana, Hope Central Church. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for joining the program today. Thank you so much. God bless you, Stacey. Oh, God bless. Okay, when we get back, we will be doing more of the program. I'm going to talk to you about Minds. It's another social media site that I just discovered. Stay there. <laughs> father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. 
Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies, and I'll tell you all about it. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. I had lunch with Steve Green, the CEO of Hobby Lobby, the other day. Okay, I ate lunch with about 300 other people while Mr. Green spoke about Hobby Lobby's founding and how their family walks out their faith through the company. Mr. Green showed photographs of his parents' dining room piled high with frames that he and his siblings earned seven cents an hour to assemble. Today, that company is a multi-billion dollar international concern. Mr. Green spoke of their latest project, the Museum of the Bible, which is both a technological marvel and a thing of unbelievable beauty. What a legacy of excellence the Green family has left for others to emulate. Most of us will never run a billion-dollar company or design and finance a museum, but our daily work is no less important in God's eyes. Whether it's loving and supporting our spouse, raising godly children, or performing our work duties with excellence, God sees and rewards hard work done as unto Him. That's encouraging. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Foreign Dispatch. United States and Colombian government officials are pledging renewed efforts to fight drug trafficking in Colombia. Critics claim they're returning to failed efforts in a losing fight against cocaine production. Fox News was the only television crew to join U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley as she watched police destroy a coca field in northern Colombia. She says the U.S. and Colombia are focused on destroying the plant before traffickers can process it into cocaine and ship it to the United States. This is where it comes from. We are at the source of where all of that comes from. And so we have to go to the source. We've got to cut the supply. Colombia once sprayed the fields from airplanes with herbicide. Those suspended the program three years ago after the World Health Organization determined the compound it used probably causes cancer. The new government here wants to resume spraying. Haley says the government is looking for a safe alternative. Though development experts say spraying these crops only hurts farmers and that coca production easily can move somewhere else. In Colombia, Rich Edson, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Unions have become the political arm of the Democratic Party. Unions need to focus back on the middle class, on the things that made America great. I'm Frank Ritchie. I'm a battalion chief in the city of New Haven, Connecticut. So in 2016, the executive board took a simple vote to change course. We voted to disassociate from the UPFA. They just wouldn't honor our choice. They kept coming after us, bill after bill. They sent us the collections. They called our families, or they even called my mother. Firefighters should be fighting fires. Instead, we're fighting union bureaucrats. Unions fail when they go outside of work and they try to weigh in on social issues. Oh, welcome back. I thought that was a fascinating piece. Um, by the firefighter union president, and he was talking about how they just they, they didn't want political representation. They just wanted to be able to have their union advocate for them on pay and benefits. They didn't want donating to the Democrats. They didn't want activism. They just wanted representation. And when they decided to create their own union, their union said, you aren't allowed to leave. And this is the problem. So I'm not against unions. I'm against these kinds of illegal activities. Are you saying that, honestly, a person works for a place and a bunch of individuals decide to unionize and then 
couple decades later, those same individuals or new individuals decide the original union isn't serving them well. So they want to create their own union. And the original union says, nope, you you are belong to us. <laughs> Rub the lotion on its skin. <laughs> that, that's craziness. That is that is not OK. So. I just think a lot of people are getting uh, fed up with not being represented and paying for things that they aren't getting. And so they're they're taking a stand and those guys are doing that. So when we talk about social media, not to add fuel to the flames, but there is a site that I just saw an article about it today. And, I, you know, it's been around for a while, so I'm a little late to the game, but it's called Minds.com and it's blockchain. And so blockchain means that it can't, the, the owners of Minds.com cannot set up software within it to track you or to sell your online behavior to other people. And so I wanted to see what it was about because I've seen so many other ones like Vero and Gab, which was recently just deplatformed by a bunch of different people, which was supposed to be the alternative to Twitter for free speech. And I had I have an account on there and I, I, I signed up because it's the same thing like this Minds. I thought it would be something that would be a viable alternative to Twitter. This one is supposed to be a combination of all of those things because you have latest channels, posts, videos, images, blogs, groups, and options. You have a news feed similar to Facebook, but it's, you know, you post whatever you want. Um, and apparently you can get paid in cryptocurrency for doing certain things. I, for the most part, it looks a lot like a stripped down Facebook, which is actually pretty cool. There's less to see on the side. There are no ads uh, that I can see just yet. And then when you click on channels, you see a bunch of people who've signed up. Um, I see Alex Jones is on here. Um, and then on videos, there are a ton of ads for videos. There's some Alex Jones content on here. They're, they're not ads. They're the thumbnails for the videos that you can watch. Um, so I haven't had a chance to explore it a ton, but the article that was written about it is over at the Daily Caller. And they said that Facebook, Google, and Twitter have come under fire for censoring conservative voices. Lawmakers are struggling to decide how best to end the practice at all. And Minds.com is a fast-growing free speech alternative that emphasizes transparency and privacy. And so I've got nothing against Facebook. And I really enjoy, like, the time that I'm on Facebook looking at other people's babies and looking at videos of grandmas dancing on cruise ships and stuff like that, I that's awesome. That's the kind of stuff that you want to kind of unplug and go check out some fun stuff. I love the fact that Facebook has groups and that they also have events. So if there's something political going on in my town, it will alert me, hey, you know, this is going on or a friend is going to this. You might want to check it out. I like that. But I don't like the fact that Mark Zuckerberg seems completely immune to the criticisms that have been leveled against him of late. He keeps making the same apology he's been making for the entire life of Facebook and what he's doing to conservative voices. And I know it's not him sitting behind a computer, you know, like a madman doing it himself, but he's over. He, he says he's ultimately responsible for everything that goes there. He's the majority owner of Facebook, and he's the one who's allowed it to develop into this thing where there's different treatment for different types of people. So uh, let me explain to you how blockchain works, because I'm just learning this myself uh, and I think I'd had blockchain, like I'd read about it before, but it never hurts to be refreshed so you know exactly what you're talking about. Minds.com runs on blockchain. It's the only social media platform that does. And blockchain 
works like this. An individual makes a transaction request. That request is processed in a person-to-person network of computers called nodes. Nodes then validate the transaction. Once the transaction is validated, the network creates a new block, which is attached to all other transactions, and then the transaction is complete. So the transaction can be anything from financial to a message or a video. That makes blockchain unique in its incorruptibility because every transaction is recorded and stored and that makes fraud nearly impossible. So some of the people are getting fed up with Facebook and going to mines and um, it's a hybrid between all three companies and the mines CEO and co-founder Bill Ottman explained his alternative to Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. He talks about the transparency that you can look at how Minds functions and see that it's not spying on its users. It's a hybrid between a decentralized and centralized network. And he says, Ott, the the owner and creator of Minds, he says it is the future. He says the foundational principles of Minds, which is privacy, transparency, free speech, that those things are essential and that all of the code is open source, meaning anyone can look at it. And... He says users can boost their accounts or posts much like an ad to their peers or the entire network to earn exposure and organically grow a base of followers. And while Facebook and Twitter can shadow ban conservatives, users can look at Minds code and see that it doesn't and isn't capable of doing that. Minds doubled its active user base in July and now has over 1.4 million users from a wide range of political beliefs, including conservatives and liberals and non-political users that just want to discuss their favorite movies with users of similar interests. And um, he says there needs to be an ethical alternative. And he doesn't like the way Facebook, Twitter, and Google are punishing certain pages. So uh, the front page, when you go there to sign up, and it was a really simple sign-in that doesn't require a Facebook account, hint, hint, uh, to other app developers, the crypto social network open source decentralized platform for internet freedom. So um, it's interesting. And GabEye has effectively been destroyed by Apple and Google because it can't grow anymore because you can't find it on any of anywhere, which is kind of crazy. They say they violated hate speech. And um, so he also talks about the Streisand effect which is when attempts at censorship backfire because of the publicity that's brought to the subject that has been censored. It's a key example of why censorship doesn't work. Peer-reviewed evidence shows that censorship amplifies violence like the Streisand effect because radical ideas are further radicalized, which we saw in the story I shared with you last segment about Alex Jones. So it's not that Stacey on the right, you know, supports Alex Jones. Um, It's that 5.4 million people who were new to the Alex Jones experience learned of him and subscribed to his newsletter because he was censored by all of these other platforms. So had they simply left him alone, 5.4 million people would continue on about their day and their lives, never knowing anything about him. Now they will learn what he's sharing. They will be consumers of that information, thereby becoming themselves, you know, in in large part misinformed. Uh, So, you know, I don't have the same feeling about pornography. Obviously, I think that should, 
that should be limited. But there are ways of going about it that don't propel people to then go and find the content. The way that they did it, coming together and, you know, censoring him all in the same day, like they were dropping a big, enormous, multinational band hammer on him. All it's done is make him stronger, like in the Star Wars movies, where uh, it was actually Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi said, strike me down, Vader, and I'll become even more powerful than you can imagine. And that's what's happened here. (laughs) Alex Jones now has five. Just think of the traffic there. 5.4 million newsletter subscribers. Those are the kind of numbers most people can't even imagine. And he just got those in a 48-hour period after YouTube said, you're, you, you're not our friend. You can't sit with us. I don't, get, I don't get it. I don't get why they didn't just leave him alone and stop publicizing him. Now he's huge, and they won't be able to get rid of him. Like, there's no getting rid of him now. Because um, with that kind of subscriber base, he could set up his own little mini corner of the Internet, and what are they going to do? Uh, so anyway, there's, there's that. Um, so we'll, we'll, I will report back to you on the, what happens on minds.com, how that works out for me. Um, if, if I feel like it's of interest, um, the department of Homeland security pivoting over to tomorrow, I wanted to give you guys this announcement. So you'll be prepared tomorrow during hour one of the program. We're going to have Dr. Ben Carson on, uh, he's the secretary of housing and urban development, and they have an announcement that they're making some, uh, uh, simplification of some processes that are from the Obama era. And so this is a part of the work that Dr. Carson is doing to try to bring HUD into the modern era. And, you know, he has personal experience with HUD having grown up um, living in, you know, it, HUD housing and his mom, you know, working and she couldn't read and all of that and, and really changing the trajectory of her son's lives by focusing on education and, you know, good behavior and, and being morally upright. And so he is working at HUD, which some people said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he ended up at HUD. I can. I, I think it's the perfect place for him to be because he has an analytical organizational mind that comes from his time as a neurosurgeon. He's a genius. And he's able to go in and and make these changes that need to be made so that people can change their lives because they're connected into the government. And if without any intervention, they stay connected into the government, a huge portion of them, because there's the government makes it so hard to disconnect. So he's got some different things that they're doing at HUD, and he's going to come on the program tomorrow and announce it here to to the listeners. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and I, I'm really excited about speaking with him again. Uh, Last time I spoke with him was when I was at the Eisenhower Executive Office Complex for the White House Radio Media Row. And um, he was there. He went around the tables and I got the chance to interview him. He was on my schedule. I requested time with him. He was great in person, as always. And he will be great on the phone tomorrow. Um, So there's that. And then, of course, well, I don't want to just promote one of the guests. We also have, oh, Kathy Barnett. You know, she's a veteran, former adjunct professor, uh, frequent guest on Fox and Friends. So she'll be with us tomorrow. And um, so I want to go back to some of the things that are that. So obviously there's um, the, the information about Ellison, Keith Ellison. And I was talking about the abuse allegations. Well, the story on him has actually been updated. He says that there, he did have a long-term relationship with the person who's accusing him and that ended in 2016, but he 
still cares deeply for her well-being and he never abused her. Her children, who are adults, say that that is not the case and that she was definitely abused. It was domestic abuse and that it was really, really, uh, really terrible. He's actually running to be Minnesota's next attorney general. So that's a law enforcement post. Uh, he's a six-term fifth district congressman, and he's the perceived front front runner in the race, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's coming up. Minnesota's primary election. Yeah, it's coming up. I, I believe it's two days away. Yeah, so this is this is really interesting. Um they have their need-to-know guide for Minnesota primary day. Um, oh, and breaking news on the video. Remember that the accuser says she has video of him pulling her across the room and down the stairs by her hair. She said she never intended for anyone to know, and she doesn't plan on releasing it. So I don't see how anyone uh, could possibly verify what she's claiming happened without her releasing the video. She says that, it's humiliating, traumatizing, and for everyone involved, including herself. And so she's frustrated that people won't believe that she was assaulted unless she produces the video. Hmm. She, does, she says she doesn't want to feed into that. Well, then I would wonder why she brings forward these allegations two days before the election. And I'm no Ellison supporter, seriously. But if you, want, if you have proof, you would want to provide it, at least to the authorities, to substantiate the allegation. It's not about salaciousness. She doesn't have to release it to the public. Just give it to the the, uh, the prosecutor. Turn it over to him. It's within the statute of limitations for prosecution. And go from there. Um, that's the sensible thing to do. Or keep it to yourself. Prosecute or keep it to yourself. But character assassination is not the way to go about getting your story believed. All right. That's the show. Uh, It's been a pleasure to be with you today. God bless. And I look forward to tomorrow where we'll have more Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Good evening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.